We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. This is Julie Sedanko here with best-selling author and relationship expert, Leslie Vernick. We hope everyone had a Merry Christmas. We are really looking forward to a new year, one filled with growth in relationships, relationships with ourselves, with God, and with others. We thought a good start to that goal would be to talk about being a godly woman. Many people have a mental image of a meek, mild, submissive woman pop into their heads, a doting mother, maybe a homeschool mom, someone who keeps the peace at home, is attractive, and available to meet her husband's needs at all times. Those are all good qualities, for sure. But Leslie, are these the traits required to be a godly woman? You know, Julie, that is such a good question. I'm so glad that we're starting the new year with talking about not necessarily our relationship with other people, but our relationship with God, because that's where our source of truth comes from. And I think there's been a lot of misunderstandings and wrong teachings about what a godly woman looks like. So I think the very first thing that a godly woman looks like is she's a God-centered woman. And let me explain this a little bit, because before we come to know Jesus, we typically are either a self-centered woman or we are another centered woman. We're only thinking about our own needs and our own feelings and our own wants and our own desires, or we're bowing into the fear of man and we need someone else to complete us in order to be okay. So if we're going to really want this year to be different in our relationship with God, we start by reorienting our loves. What is our first love? The first commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. That's not because God is some sort of egocentric uh, narcissist who, who wants everybody to pay attention to him, but he knows that his love for us is the only thing that will keep us upright in the storms of life. And therefore, in order to be a godly woman, we have to reorient our loves. It doesn't mean that we can't love other people or other things or even love ourselves, but our love for God has to be first. And I find that many women that I work with, Christian women, good, good women, think that a godly woman means I put my husband first and I center myself around what he needs and what he wants and what he says. And that's actually idolatry. It's putting your husband in God's place in your life or other people. I need them to approve of me in order to be okay. No, you don't. If you're a godly woman and you're God-centered, then you take your directions from him. And that means, yes, you love others and you serve others. And sometimes you confront others with the truth. But your well-being in the very center of your soul and yourself doesn't depend on whether they approve of you or like you or accept you because you are fully approved and fully loved and fully valued by your heavenly father. And you know that full well. Okay. So we're not supposed to be a self-centered woman and we're definitely not supposed to be a man-centered woman. So what exactly is a godly woman? If it's not all the things that I described earlier, give us the definition. I'm going to change your word, Julie, because supposed to is sort of like this place of no choice. 
So you have a choice. You can be a man-centered woman if you want to be. You can be a self-centered woman if you want to be. Plenty of people make that choice, consciously or unconsciously. Um, so if you want to be a godly woman, then that's a choice that you make. And what does that look like? And I think that's a great question because there has been a lot of wrong teaching, especially in conservative Christian communities about what a godly woman looks like. And so I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners to understand that the Bible was written not just for men. It was written for women. So the verses that talk about it is God's will for you to be strong, be strong and courageous in the Lord. That's not just written for men to be strong and courageous. It's written for women also to grow, to be strong and courageous. But we don't really emphasize that in our typical Christian teaching. In fact, I was doing a talk at one time and I was talking to pastors and we were talking on a whiteboard and I put a big line down the middle and I said, okay, godly woman, godly man, let's describe what they look like. And so the pastors would say a godly man. So we started there. They're strong, they're decisive, they're courageous, they're um, leaders, they're um, loving, they're humble, they're teachable. Great, perfect, great qualities of a godly man. What's a godly woman? She's teachable, she's loving, she's kind, she's submissive, she's humble, she's caring, she's generous. What's missing from that list? So if we think about this, when it says in the New Testament, for example, in Galatians 4.19, I believe it says, Paul says, I'm praying till Christ be formed in you. And when we see in Genesis where God created man and woman in his image, in the image of God, he created he them, male and female, he created he them. So if we are both men and women to grow to be more like Christ, why is it in that list of attributes that I got the pastors to describe, what does a godly woman look like and a godly man look like? A godly man, the descriptors, had both masculine, bold, courageous, decisive, unfeminine, humble, loving, caring qualities in that list. Because you could not have a godly man if he just had all masculine qualities. He wouldn't be godly. He'd be a bully. Right. Right. And so Christ modeled humility. He modeled generosity. He modeled loving kindness because he was modeling the character of God in the feminine. But in the feminine description of a godly woman, there was no masculine qualities in there. There was no, she should be strong. She should be decisive. She should be bold. She should be courageous. She should be a leader. Why not? Because I think we've lost that God calls women also to be like Jesus. And there are some masculine qualities that we are to embody, whether we embody them somewhat naturally, or we are to grow into them. We are to be decisive. We are to be strong. We are to be courageous. And those Bible verses that call us to those qualities are not just written for men. They're written for women as well. But oftentimes women who exercise those qualities have gotten a bad rap, like, oh, who do you think you are? You don't know your place. You're being too bossy. You're the B word. Instead of saying, wow, she also is being a leader. She is also being godly. I think some people might argue with you on this one, Leslie, and say, well, God created two genders for a reason. 
The woman is supposed to be the weaker vessel. That's why the man is there. So he has those strong leadership characteristics, and the woman is supposed to be the helpmate. That's how God created it. So if you're starting to display more manly characteristics, then you're basically usurping the man's authority. Yeah, I think there are some teachings that go along with that. I just don't think they're truly biblical. I'm just going to read because I think God's description of a godly woman is probably the best description that we could have. And so let's just go to the scriptures because God wrote a whole chapter in Proverbs 31 to describe the virtuous woman. So I'm not going to go into all of this because most women who are listening to this, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you know the virtuous woman and sometimes she exhausts you and you kind of think, oh, you know, I could never do all that she does. But we're not looking at what she does. She was doing what she was doing in her culture. That's not necessarily a requirement to be a godly woman is to be all of these things, what she did. But there's a couple qualities that I do want you to know that God is emphasizing in this passage. First of all, this woman operates as a God-centered woman not a man-centered woman, not a people pleaser. She's a God-centered woman. She does wonderful things for people and for herself and for her family. She's strong. She's decisive. She's independent. She's a virtuous woman. And I think that's really important that we understand that God calls us to develop virtues. He calls us to develop strength of character. We're not just to operate on our feelings. We have strong feelings as women, but we're not to run our lives by our feelings. And so he's talking about this woman who's operating her life out of her virtues, her values of who I want to be. How do I want to show up? But here's this passage where it talks about who she is. And then it says, her husband can trust her. She's a strong woman who buys her own land, who makes her own decisions, has her own job, makes her own money. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She is his helpmate by doing these things. She doesn't just revolve her whole life around him. That's a man-centered woman or a husband-centered woman. She's doing what God's called her to do, including being a wife, but not only being a wife. She's a person. She's a person created in God's image. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. And then it tells what she does out of her character, out of her virtues. And so it's really important that we talk to women about this idolatry of being a man-centered woman. And we also speak into the church's teaching for women that somehow they're to subjugate their gifts and they subjugate their personality and subjugate their maturity in order to keep their marriage going because it threatens their husband if they are strong, because maybe he's not doing his work to be a godly woman. He's maybe being a Nabal in the Bible in 1 Samuel 19, where Abigail was described as a strong and courageous and beautiful, intelligent woman. And her husband was a lowlife. He was rich, but he was corrupt. He was selfish. He was not a godly man. He was a self-centered man. And she was his helpmate by overruling a stupid decision he made that would have cost their entire household their lives. Was that not virtuous and godly? She was a godly woman in that moment. And she was also a good wife by doing what she needed to do to save her household, even if her husband didn't appreciate it. Where do you think this idea of, or I guess this mental image of what a godly woman is, this meek, mild woman who doesn't speak up or doesn't question her husband, 
who doesn't do any of those things. Where do you think that came from? I'm not sure. I'm not a big historian, but I think I've listened to a couple different people who describe how Christianity has kind of taken a turn towards that um, after the Reformation, where there were a, a lot of strong women in the Middle Ages, and there were strong women who taught the Bible and preached, and they weren't told, you're outside your wheelhouse, woman, this isn't for you, this is only for men, it wasn't bad. And so I think there is this leaning towards uh, the idea that patriarchy, where power over a woman by a man is God's ideal. Now, power over people has always been in our world, and it will always be in our world. So for example, in Ecclesiastes 4, he said this, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. That's how it is. That's how it's been. That's how it will continue to be. When God created marriage in the Garden of Eden, he created man and women to be equal partners. He didn't say to Adam, now Adam, you shall rule over Eve and Eve shall just do your beck and call. He didn't say that. Actually, as a result of the fall, as a result of them choosing sin over trusting God, that was the outcome. So your desire shall be for your husband, woman. You shall become a husband-centered woman instead of a God-centered woman. Not as God's plan, but as the result of the fall. You shall put all your eggs in that basket please love me, please take care of me, and you shall be tempted to rule over her. That is not God's ideal plan. That's the result of their sinful decisions. So if we're going to see Christ create the original plan as he's talked about, Paul says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male or female. We're all the same. We're created in God's image. We're all image bearers. And we're all called to have Christ be formed in us and grow into full maturity. So if a godly man is required in order to be a godly man to embrace some feminine qualities like humility and long-suffering and gentleness and kindness, which are the fruit of the spirit, wouldn't a godly woman also be called to grow in her strength and her courage, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, to walk in the truth, to be bold, speak the truth in love and learn how to do that with strength. I believe so. And so when we talk about a godly woman, we're first talking about being a God-centered woman, not a husband-centered woman, which says that's the result of the fall. We're talking about being a virtuous woman, not a feeling-driven woman. A virtuous woman is a woman who's deciding who I want to be and how I want to show up. Whether I feel like it or not, no one feels brave, for example. No one feels brave. Brave is a virtue that you are going to be brave even when you feel scared. That's what bravery is. It's not a, oh, I feel brave. It's a, oh my gosh, my child is being kidnapped and I'm terrified and I'm going to go jump on his back and beat his head. So I can get free, right? So you're acting brave 
in a moment where you're scared because the virtue in you says, I will not allow my child to be taken on my watch if I can help it, right? We don't revert to the feminine that, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. We revert to the masculine part of our godly character and do what we need to do. Even when we don't feel those feelings, we act in those virtues. I may not, Jesus himself is a really good model. If he's the model of godliness, at the cross, he had feelings, right? He had feelings. I don't want to do this. I'm scared. This is making me sick physically, emotionally. I'm sobbing. He didn't deny his feelings and just put this Christian smiley face. Oh, I'm so happy to please God. Whatever you call me to do, I will. He was struggling. And I think there's godliness is being honest with the struggle being honest with the struggle and even being honest with the struggle in front of people. So sometimes we're ashamed of ourselves that we're struggling, that we don't always feel like doing what God calls us to do, right? And we're struggling with that. And we're, we're being honest with the struggle in front of people. Jesus was honest with the struggle. His disciples were watching him struggle with his emotions. I don't want to do this. I don't feel like doing this. Is there another way, God? And so I think this is part of a godly person, the example of being really honest with the raw and the real ugliness of life. And then what does he say? I don't feel like doing this, but I do want to follow God. I am a God-centered son and not my will, but yours be done. That was his choice. That was his choice. No one made him do it. He didn't feel like doing it, but virtue decided, I want to be a godly son and I will do what you call me to do, God. And that's what a godly person is. Okay, so let's take this idea of being a godly woman into the realm of a relationship, maybe a destructive relationship or marriage. If one of our listeners is going to take this to heart and maybe start to speak up more and maybe she really needs to in her relationship, it's tough though. To be godly when you're dealing with an ungodly person, sometimes our emotions as women take over and we become maybe irrational, angry, lose it. I mean, how do we be a godly woman in a very ungodly situation and walk away from it knowing I spoke up, I was strong, I was courageous, but I didn't go to the crazy and I didn't become destructive myself? I love that question because, again, the Bible is so full of truth. I love that the Bible doesn't whitewash the reality of those moments. And so Psalm 39 describes it perfectly. So let me read it and then I'll answer your question. Okay. Here's the psalmist. I said to myself, I better watch what I do and not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around me. <laughs> so here he's tempted with the very thing that you just talked about, right? But as I stood there in silence, not even speaking of good things, the turmoil, my feelings within me grew worse. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. Been there, done that. Long, you know. So, he's, so this is a godly person admitting, I am not there yet. I am not perfect. How do I work on this, Lord? Instead of, he made me do it. No, this is where I am help me, Lord. This is hard to do. And so I think this is so perfect that as Christians, we can admit that 
being a godly person is hard work and we need a community of support where we can be real and not just pretend we're all doing it right when we're not. And so, yes, how does he do this? So here's some tools and I'll give a couple more practical tools. So the more I thought about it, the hotter I got igniting a firework. So he blurted out what he didn't want to blurt out. All right, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. And so he goes on to talk about, you know, keep things in perspective. What's most important now? And don't let your feelings get the best of you in those moments. And so let's go practical now. So you're in this moment, your husband is being profane, vile, destructive, gaslighting you, uh, accusing you, attacking you. What do you do? Two things. We would practice in our organization, we talk about JADE. It's not my acronym, it's someone else's acronym, but JADE is a very powerful tool to remind yourself in the moment. Arguing with a foolish person is pointless. Arguing with a person who doesn't want to hear you is pointless. Arguing with someone who doesn't want to know the truth is pointless. So don't do it. So JADE is an acronym. Don't continue to justify yourself. They don't care. Don't continue to argue. So J is justify. A is argue. Don't argue. Don't keep casting your pearls before swine. Jesus tells us that in Matthew 7. The Bible is very practical. And when someone doesn't want to have a constructive conversation with you about a problem, they just want to accuse, attack, and confuse you, don't engage. Don't justify. Don't argue. Don't continue to defend. D, defend yourself. And don't continue to explain yourself, J-A-D-E, justify, argue, defend, explain. Well, then what? What do you do instead? Right. Yeah, so here's where you have to tend to yourself. And this is where it's so important for you to be a God-centered woman, not an other-centered or a husband. Because if I need him to understand, if I need him to accept me, if I need him to say, oh, okay, I understand now that's, that's a good thing. If I need that, I'm toast. Oh yeah, you are. You're toast because you're not going to get it with that kind of person. And so that's where, you know, before the Lord, you have done all you can do to speak the truth in love. They don't want to hear it. And so you stop, you stop and you go tend to your own soul, your own spirit in order for you not to get to the place where you're going to be provoked into a outburst that you will feel ashamed of yourself about. And I'm going to use a pretty crass example, but I think it'll make the point. So we have a limited capacity because we're human. We can't endure forever. And so don't put that on you as a godly woman. I have to endure forever. I, we all have a breaking point somewhere right? And so you don't want to stay in a place where you are provoked to your breaking point. Just like as a two-year-old, you learn your capacity for how long you can hold your urine before you're going to wet your pants, or how long you can hold 
yourself together before you're going to have a bowel movement. You have to learn that as a child. So you know in your body, start to pay attention. My body has certain feelings that are telling me I've got to go to the bathroom. I better go now or I'm going to have an accident. You can't hold it forever. Even as a grown-up, you can't hold it forever. You have a certain capacity to hold it. And then you have to tend to yourself. That's not selfish. That's good stewardship. In the same way, emotionally, you have to know your capacity to hold certain things. How long can I hold that fire igniting within me before I'm going to blow, right? How long can I hold that? And if I can only hold it for a minute or two when someone's barraging me, then I need to have a recognition of that and go take care of myself. The same as if that someone was yelling at you and you knew you were about to have explosive diarrhea you wouldn't just sit there and let yourself poop all over yourself. You would get up and say, I've got to go to the bathroom and you would go in the same way, friend. If you sense you're about to have a volcanic eruption of words, just say, I've got to go to the bathroom and go. End the conversation. You are not God. You are just trying to be a godly Example, Jesus was accused, attacked. At times he stayed silent because it wasn't going to make a difference. He did not justify or argue, defend or explain to Pilate. It wouldn't have made a difference. He stayed silent. And so it's important that understanding godly people sometimes just stay silent. Don't cast your pearls before swine, Jesus says. He told his disciples, when you're out and about and talking to people about Christ, if they don't want to hear you, Shake the dust from your feet. We can't make someone listen. You can't make someone hear you. You can't make someone understand. And you're, if you're a godly person, you understand that and you let go. If you're a man-centered person, I need them to understand for me to be okay. I need them to love me. I need them to understand in order for me to be okay. Then you're stuck in a terribly destructive dance. The only person who can change that is you. I know there's some ladies listening. And they're saying, okay, I'm going to try to end the conversation, but he's going to keep coming after me. How do I stay godly in that situation when he's coming after me and he's continuing the barrage and I'm trying? What do they do? You go to the bathroom and you lock the door. You just say, I have to go to the bathroom. You don't have to say, I can't listen to you anymore. Because as soon as you start that conversation, he's going to argue with you, right? Most people don't argue with you if you just say, I'm going to go throw up. I'm going to have, I have to go to the bathroom. They don't say, oh, you can't go to the bathroom. So you just go to the bathroom and you lock the door. If, and, if, and if that's not possible, that's telling you something. Yeah. So if they restrain you, if they refuse to let you make a decision that you need for self-care, I need to go to the bathroom. And th- that's the word you can say. And you don't have to say, I don't really have to go pee. I just need to calm down. You don't have to say that. You just go to the bathroom for your own self-care and you lock the door. And then you regroup. And one way you can regroup is by talking to God. One way you can regroup, another way is to tend to your body, and that would be by breathing. Some deep breaths, cleansing breaths. I'm not letting him get the best of me. He is not the boss of me. God is. He's trying to get me to react so that I'm the bad guy and he can accuse me of being the abusive one. I'm not going there this time. I've been there, done that. And so talk to yourself. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Calm down. And when you come back out, if you're not allowed to just go to bed or disengage, then that's another important information 
to you that you're not allowed to be a person in this relationship. You are an object and you're not safe. You're not, not safe. safe to steward yourself from an abusive person in their outburst, in their destructive moment. And if you're not safe to do that, that may give you information that as much as it depends on me, I can't live safely with this person. And so if you're in a concentration camp and you aren't allowed to get out from your accusers, that might be a different strategy to be a godly person. But in this country, if you're married to someone who's abusing you, you have some rights and you have some ability to do something different. And this is where it requires a woman to have some of that masculine decisiveness, choice, courage, making a decision to say, I don't have to live like this. This isn't what God calls me to do to be a godly woman is to allow myself to be abused in an intimate relationship. That's not God's plan for marriage or for you. I think too, sometimes when you're in that bathroom where you're trying to regroup, there may be a level or an aspect of grief there of accepting the truth. I know you talk about accepting the truth and accepting the reality of the situation that you're in. That may take a lot of bravery. And it's a difficult time, but obviously an important time as well of saying, okay, this is the situation that I'm in, or maybe even this is the marriage that I'm in, or at least it is right now. And having that moment of grief and acceptance, would you agree? Yeah, and clarity. And maybe just by you doing that, you're giving your husband some time to also have a moment of clarity. Like, wow, I just acted like a maniac. I was just horrible. And I don't like how I handle myself. So you don't necessarily have to accuse him of anything. Maybe God will speak to him too. Whether he listens or doesn't listen, you can't control that, right? Jesus spoke to Judas. He didn't listen. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. They didn't listen. But don't Discount that God is also speaking to his heart if he's a Christian about you're out of line, son, and I don't want you to act that way towards your wife. That's what God would say to him. And again, whether he chooses to listen or don't listen. But I think after the bathroom incident, when you're in there and you come out and say, hey, I don't really like where this conversation is going. And I don't want either of us to do something that we or say something that we would regret. If we really care about each other, we don't want to tear each other down. And I don't want to do that. And I'm not capable anymore of having any more conversation. That's so powerful, Leslie, because when we're not screaming our truth or trying to force our opinion or something down the throat of somebody who has absolutely no interest in it, it gives them the space to hear from God, who he has a much better way of getting a point across than we do. And I think, again, if you can speak for yourself, so often when we come at these situations, we come at it from a self-righteous, like I'm right, you're wrong. And so how dare you treat me this way? You're a narcissist, you're self-centered, you're an abuser, you know, all, you know, you're emotionally. And when we do that, I'm not saying you're technically wrong for, you know, in your evaluation, but most people don't respond well to that. So it just is a lose-lose because you're not going to be heard and they're not going to change. So I think if you can go and calm yourself down in that moment and either come out and say, I really don't want to go there in our conversations anymore. It's not pretty for us and it's not helpful for our marriage and I need a break and you're not attacking or accusing, that can calm the situation. A gentle answer turns away wrath, 
but a harsh word stirs up strife, Proverbs 15.1 says. And so it doesn't mean you're giving in or saying he's right or doing what he says. You're just saying time out in a kind way and that I am not able to carry on this conversation in a healthy way any longer. So I'm not participating. And that models to him godliness, good self-care, honest conversation without accusing and attacking. And that gives him an opportunity to say, wow, that went better than usually it does. Maybe I could do some of that or not. And that tells you something. And that tells you more. Leslie, how do we respond to the men in our lives, whether it's a husband, maybe a grown son, a pastor, counselor, when we're trying to be a godly woman with some of those male characteristics and they're telling us we're being ungodly or we need to be quiet or we're not being submissive. How does a woman respond to that? So usually I find the best way to respond to those people who are trying to unnerve you (laughs) that way by accusing and attacking you um, is to be curious and to ask questions. Um, Because sometimes they're meaning to shut you down and sometimes they just have wrong teaching in their mind and that's just their script. Uh, And they haven't ever reflected on why they think that. So I might just say, what do you mean? Tell me more. Right. And so then it's on them to explain why I'm not allowed to speak up as a godly woman. Right. And then if they start saying, well, you know, the Bible tells women should keep quiet in, in church. And I'm saying, so I see lots of women who didn't keep quiet in the scriptures. Esther didn't keep quiet. She went to her husband and confronted him. Abigail didn't keep quiet and she went to David and confronted him and talked to him and told her husband. So what are you talking about? I don't see where women are to keep quiet and never give men feedback. You know, so I would just try to, that's where it's really important. If a godly woman, if you're a godly woman, you know, God's word and you know, God's character and God doesn't put masking tape on a woman's mouth and says, you're never to speak. You're just to serve. You're not really a person who has any feelings of your own or thoughts of your own. You're just to be a helper of everybody else. That is not God's creation for women. What if you recognize that you're just not a godly woman, not masculine, not feminine, not anything? Maybe you go to church, but just don't really have that relationship with God. Maybe there's a lot of questions of faith or whatever. Where does a woman like that start on her journey to becoming a godly woman? Yeah, such a good question, Julie. And I I imagine there are some women who are listening who have that question, who have said, wow, I've never given that any thought. I've just believed what my parents taught me. I go to church every week, but I don't really know God. I don't really talk to God. I don't really have a personal relationship with God. I feel actually afraid of God, or I feel obligated to God, or I feel shamed by God all the time, but I don't really know God. And I think this is, this is part of, if you have that sense in your spirit, that a wake up call, I would call it that God is saying, you don't know me. You might know all about me, but you don't know me. This is an invitation. He's saying, if you feel that that's the Holy spirit, that's what the Holy spirit does. It wakes people up to the awareness of, Oh, there's more, there's more. And I don't know it. And God is inviting me to know him. What an amazing privilege. So don't see it as a scolding moment. See it as an open invitation moment that the Holy Spirit is helping you be aware 
that he's inviting you deeper into a personal relationship with him, Jesus and the father. And you got a decision to make. Yes, I want that or no, thank you. That is our choice as human beings. And if I were you, I would really think hard and long about that decision because that changes everything. And it doesn't mean that as soon as you say, yes, you know everything and you become a godly woman, but it takes you on a path of getting to know someone. Have you ever gotten to know a good friend or you know, really gotten to know someone that you admired and you thought, wow, I'd like to be more like her. She, she embodies values and character qualities. She's so patient with her kids or she's so... Um, strong and speaking up against, you know, injustice or racial inequality or whatever. And I wish I had more of that. And as we get to know God, we have that same feeling. Like I want some more of that. I want to be more like you. I want to embody your character. I want that to be who I am. And that is who God created you to be like him. So if we close, let me just read part of our journey that God tells us in Ephesians because this is relationship truth unfiltered, and we want to know what God says about being a godly person and the journey. And it's not like an instant journey. I'm past, <laughs> past middle age, and I am still learning to be a godly woman. So he says this, if you want to be a godly woman in Ephesians 4, live no longer as you used to live, for you are hopelessly confused. Their minds or your minds were full of darkness. You wander far from the life God gives you because you've closed your mind and hardened your heart against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. That's what an ungodly person does, even if they are in the church. But that isn't what you've learned about Christ since you've heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature, your former ways of life, which are corrupted by lust wanting the wrong thing. I just want him to love me. And deception. I need it in order for me to be okay. Those are just some deceptions, okay? Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Now, what is that? Listen to this. This is verse 24 in chapter four of Ephesians. Put on your new nature. Created to be like God. God wants you to be godly. It is his will that you mature and be like him, embodying both masculine and feminine godly qualities so that your maturity is complete. Leslie, please pray for us because listening to this, it's obvious how far we may fall short. But I know myself and the women that are listening, we really do want to be a godly woman. So would you just pray for us? We're going to pray for all of us, including myself. <laughs> Father, we are convicted that we do fall short of these verses. We fall short of doing things because we have this mindset that it has to be perfect all of the time in order to be acceptable. But Lord, if we're listening and we're moms, we know that when our kids are maturing, they don't do things perfectly. They don't walk perfectly. They don't learn to go to the bathroom perfectly. They make lots of mistakes in the process of maturing, of growing up. And as moms, we love our kids and we don't say, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing it perfectly? We say, yay, I'm glad you took the first step. Don't worry about falling down, just get back up. 
And so, Father, help us to see you as a good, good father who doesn't scold us or shame us when we fall short, when we fall down. As long as we're learning and wanting to learn, you are well-pleased with our efforts. Father, help us to reorient our thinking away from being self-centered or other-centered people. We will never be happy when we do that. You have created us to not be happy when we do that. Pleasure does not bring happiness. It brings pleasure for a season and often a lot of heartache afterwards. And so, Father, help us to be virtuous people, to put on virtues of goodness and kindness and diligence and self-discipline and self-control, all the things that make for a good life. You tell us that. And yet we live often for the flesh or for the approval of other people. Lord, if we truly want to be godly, help us to commit to that and then allow you to teach us your ways to walk in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's all for this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Thank you so much for listening. Go to leslievernick.com for more resources. If this show was helpful, please subscribe and share, and we would love your honest rating and review. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with him, with yourself, and with others.